0: Amen. Thank you. All right, good evening. Why not you open your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 41. I get to do back-to-back. Dan and Tracy are down um, in California right now with some family. So... Um, Dan asked me to cover for him while he's gone. So, 41. Um, keep your fingers there if you're there right now. And once you turn over to Lamentations, it's the next book over there, chapter 1. I encourage you guys last week to read this, the whole book of Lamentations. Um, Because we covered Jerusalem, fallen. Hey, Jim, we could turn this mic down just a little bit. It's a little hot. Um, Because uh, it really gives you an idea of what they were going through. The emotional state, the spiritual state. um, What it was like in a city that God had rejected. Yeah, thank you, Jim. Um, That God had rejected um, and judged because of their sin. So, verse 1. It says how lonely sits the city that was full of people how like a widow is she who is great among the nations the princess among the provinces has become a slave she weeps bitterly in the night her tears are on her cheeks among all her lovers she has none to comfort her all her friends have dealt treacherously with her they have become her enemies Judah has gone into captivity under affliction and hard servitude. She dwells among the nations. She finds no rest. All her persecutors overtake her in dire straits. The roads to Zion mourn because no one comes to the set feasts. All her gates are desolate. Her priests sigh. Her virgins are afflicted, and she is in bitterness. Her adversaries have become the master. Her enemies prosper, for the Lord has afflicted her because of the multitude of her transgressions. Her children have gone into captivity before the enemy, and from the daughter of Zion all her splendor has departed. Her princes have become like deer that find no pasture, that flee without strength before the pursuer. We just read about Zedekiah last week in the same uh, context. Verse 7 In the days of her affliction and roaming, Jerusalem remembers all her pleasant things that she had in the days of old. When her people fell into the hand of the enemy with no one to help her, the adversaries saw her and mocked at her downfall. Jerusalem has sinned gravely, therefore, she has become vile. All who honored her despise her because they have seen her nakedness. Yes, She sighs and turns away. Her uncleanness is in her skirts. She did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. She had no comforter. O Lord, behold my affliction, for the enemy is exalted. The adversary has spread his hand over all her pleasant things. For she has seen the nations enter her sanctuary, those whom you commanded not to enter your assembly. All her people sigh. They seek bread. They have given their valuables for food to restore life. See, O Lord, and consider, for I am scorned. Is it nothing to you, all you who pass by? Behold and see if there is any sorrow like my sorrow, which has been brought on me, which the Lord has inflicted in the day of his fierce anger. From above he has sent fire into my bones and overpowered them. He has spread a net for my feet and turned me back. He has made me desolate and faint all the day. The yoke of my transgressions was bound. They were woven together by His hands and thrust upon my neck. He made my strength fail. The Lord delivered me into the hands of those whom I am not able to withstand. The Lord has trampled underfoot all my mighty men in my midst. He has called an assembly against me to crush my young men. The Lord trampled as in a winepress, the virgin daughter of Jerusalem. For these things I weep. My eye, my eye overflows with water because the comforter who should restore my life is far from me. My children are desolate because the enemy prevailed. Zion spreads out her hands, but no one comforts her. The Lord has commanded concerning Jacob that those around him, become his adversaries. Jerusalem has become an unclean thing among them. This is Lamentations. This is the condition of Judah, Jerusalem, of Israel at this time. This is judgment that God has commanded fall upon the people. We've been reading, we've seen over and over and over again how the Lord has... uh, had grace and mercy and patience on the people. He warned them that judgment was coming. He warned them what would happen if they resisted. He gave them opportunity over and over again to repent. We just saw that last week with Zedekiah, how Zedekiah, even as uh, the armies of, of Babylon were at the doorstep of Jerusalem, he had a chance to listen, to surrender. And if he did, then the people would not have been slain like they were. The city would not have been burnt. The temple would not have been torn down. His family would have survived and he would have lived. Gone into captivity, but they would have lived. We see all of these things. But now, just like we've read about throughout the scriptures, they harden their heart against the Lord. And because of their hard hearts, the Lord confirmed that. In them, that's what we see, in Lamentations verse fourteen, where it says, "The yoke of my transgressions was bound." They there's an acknowledgment there. It's their transgressions, their sin, their rebellious, rebelliousness against the Lord. And, and uh, but it was a continuation of those transgressions without repentance that bound them together, that were woven together by the Lord and thrust upon their neck in judgment we see, of course, the Lord has future grace for the people. And even now, as they've been judged, there's grace, there's mercy, there's compassion for them. Turn back to Jeremiah chapter 41. That last verse in in Lamentations we read, that's kind of what we're seeing now. Babylon has come in, taken them captive, killed their king, appointed a governor over them. We we saw that last week, Gedaliah, the governor, Gedaliah, no name man. I mean, we, we have his name here, but what I mean is he, he was not a royal. He did not have some office of authority before uh, the downfall of Jerusalem. He wasn't of royal lineage. None of those things. Um, and you almost get the sense here that, that um, Nebuchadnezzar, he was fed up with the house of David in Judah. He had been dealing with them for about 11 years and or uh, eight years, and uh, they had kept trying to do these secret side deals of rebellion against Babylon, even though the whole time Jeremiah and the prophets and the Lord were telling them, just submit, surrender to Babylon. This is my judgment against you. Submit to these things. So we see uh, Nebuchadnezzar, in essence, saying, I'm done with this dynasty with this, this house of David. I'm done with them. So I'm going to put my own person here as governor, Gedaliah. And Gedaliah, he, uh, it seemed like, for the most part, he was kind of a humble man. Um, he, he knew his position, and, and he, he told the people, said, don't fear the Chaldeans. Just submit to them. Stay here. Be patient, be calm. Don't be afraid of them. If, if you listen to them, if you submit under their rule, then things will go well with you. Echoing along exactly what Jeremiah and the Lord had been telling Israel all along. Just submit. Just be there. Be patient. So, But as with the fall of a nation, her enemies are ready to take advantage. And that's what we see all around. So at the end of chapter 40, we have verse 16... Um, Verse 15, it says, Then Johanan, the son of Kareah, spoke secretly to Gedaliah and Mizpah, saying, Let me go, please, and I will kill Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, and no one will know it. Why should he murder you so that all the Jews who are gathered to you would be scattered and the remnant in Judah perish? But Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, said to Johanan, the son of Kareah, You shall not do this thing, for you speak falsely. Concerning Ishmael. So here's Johanan. Johanan, he's a leader among the people. Gedaliah appointed governor. And, and with Johanan, as all the people had kind of come out of hiding after all the captives are being taken away from uh, Jerusalem and they, the armies of Babylon are, are, are leaving to go home, the people are kind of coming out of their hiding places in the wilderness, in the hills. Um, and coming out and joining together under Gedaliah. And with them comes uh, Johanan and Ishmael. Johanan, we read about it here that they were together, so first we, we know that there was some understanding, some uh, familiarity between um, Johanan and Ishmael. Ishmael was a descendant of David. He had royal blood. Um Uh, And we're not sure exactly what the reason is behind what we read in in chapter 41. We we haven't gotten to it yet tonight. Um, But uh, we know that he had some dealings with the Ammonites in chapter 40. Uh, It says uh, that uh, the king of the Ammonites sent Ishmael to murder Gedaliah is what the message of Johanan was. And uh, the Ammonites—they were part of this consortium of countries of nations that were trying to work together secretly with Zedekiah to rebel against Nebuchadnezzar. So there could be some intrigue there, saying, "Well, we still—we don't like Babylon's rule. Still, here we have a, a noble from the house of David. David aligned with us. Let's use him. We can take advantage of uh, Israel of Judah in their weakness." And, and either they're thinking we can overthrow Babylon still, so let's gather the people to us, or they're thinking, well, here's free land for us now. No one's protecting Jerusalem. No one's taking care of this whole place. And so um, they, they want to revolt. And Ishmael, I think personally with Ishmael, there is some pride there. Ishmael, being of the house of David, Being of royal lineage, seeing this commoner, in essence, being appointed as governor by Nebuchadnezzar, there had to have been some jealousy there based on his character that we read. So we have this intrigue going on. The people's disobedience to the Lord opened the door. They had judgment, but this opened the door to oppression by others, to being taken advantage of. And you guys, that's the same thing spiritually that happens with us as well when there's disobedience when there's rebellion against the lord we open the door to being taken advantage of we have that in the scriptures as we read in the new testament as we look at these things when there's sin there's this snowball effect if there's not repentance there there's this uh, sin producing more sin producing death producing the consequences There's the judgment that can fall upon the Lord, but we see with with Judah, even in her time of judgment, when all the things that Jeremiah said were going to take place, took place, but for their very eyes, all the things that were prophesied about Zedekiah happened to a T, to Zedekiah. And they were witnesses of all of these things, and yet they still did not repent. They still chose to not submit to the Lord, ultimately. And it's the same thing with us. When there's not repentance, we open the door for more sin. For us to do more and worse, and that's what we see. See, there they they were others, other actors seeking to take advantage of them, but at the same time, their spiritual condition was they were blinded to what was going on. Their, their spiritual blindness had almost had, was not affected at all by their judgment at this point. Because we see story after story over and over again of people being warned and not listening. So you're a liar. Don't tell me those things. Don't tell me these hard and difficult things is what happened here. Look at verse 1 of 41. Now we're getting into the study. It says, Now it came to pass in the seventh month that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, the son of Elishama, of the royal family and of the officers of the king, came with ten men to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam at Mizpah, Mizpah is just northwest of of, uh, Jerusalem. Um, And there they ate bread together in Mizpah. Now you guys remember, we've talked about it a lot before with communion uh, and with other things that we see with the Jews. Eating in Middle Eastern culture is very important, especially who you eat with and how you eat with them. It's a a sign of, of fellowship that's where we see that come all the way down to what we do in the church. Like on Sunday, we're going to do communion. Come all the way down. Communion has that same idea. You're taking part together, having fellowship with one another. You're being joined together, um, this bond that you share. Um, they had this idea that as you partake of the food, it becomes part of both of you. And in essence, you're, you're kind of joining yourselves to one another as you eat with someone. It, it's, that, it's that bond that's made at that point. Uh, a lot different than how we view eating nowadays. But that's what they did. And so we see here Ishmael and, and these men that with are with him. I mean, they're brazenly going in with this plot. And, um, and Ishmael or uh, Gedaliah, you know, he's just kind of blindly going in with all of this. He'd been warned by someone who knew Ishmael who knew of his plot, who knew of the plot of uh, Baalus, the king of the Ammonites, uh, who knew of all these things. And he, remember what he said, he said, you speak falsely. You, you're you a liar, is in essence what he told Johanan. Didn't listen. So this is, uh, we don't know exactly how much time passed here, but it's two months after Jerusalem had fallen when he comes there. And they have this feast. They're eating together. Supposed to be Fellowship. And instead of fellowship, what happens? A slaughter. A slaughter that takes place that didn't need to happen. It says, Ishmael, verse 2, The son of Nethaniah and the ten men who were with him arose and struck Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam, the son of Shaphan, with the sword, and killed him whom the king of Babylon had made governor over the land. So, just like with Zedekiah, Gedaliah was not the only one who suffered because of his lack of listening, his lack of discernment, his blindness. Verse 3, it says, Ishmael also struck down all the Jews who were with him, that is with Gedaliah and Mizpah and the Chaldeans who were found there, the men of war. So we see here that Gedaliah doesn't listen. He's blind, he's foolish, he's prideful. And other people suffer because of it. He does as well, but other people people suffer because of it. The same thing is true. Our sin does not affect just us. It affects all the people around us. Our unwillingness to receive the word of the Lord as he's given it to us affects the people around us. Our lack of discernment. Maybe it's not outright transgression, but just simple lack of discernment that we should have because of the spirit in us and the word that God has given to us. Our lack of discernment affects the people around us as well. Um, We can see that in our own lives. Chapter 6, verse 13 of Jeremiah, it says, Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. They have also healed the herd of my people, slightly saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. Uh, the people here, they, they were receiving kind of a taste of their own medicine, warning after warning, and all they wanted to hear were good things. Same with Gedaliah. All he wanted to hear was good things. He seemed to be kind of a good-natured man, a kind man. He, he said, no, don't kill him. I I don't believe you in this. And then he goes and has this love feast with this guy and then he's killed. No discernment. Uh, it, it, It was a condition that they had. We have to examine our own hearts. If we sin, if we're in rebellion against the Lord, if we're still living, there's a chance to repent still. We don't know the day that we're called to. But that open door, it opens for all of these other things to take place. You guys know the story um, from Genesis of Cain and Abel. Remember? Cain and Abel offering sacrifices to the Lord. The Lord accepts Abel's sacrifice. We're told in the New Testament it's because Abel offered his sacrifice by faith. And Cain, he did it out of obligation. And Cain, in his sacrifice being... Uh, not accepted by the Lord, became jealous and angry and and directed his anger and his jealousy towards his brother and killed him, murdered him. And what did the Lord say to, to him after he found him and said, your brother's blood cries out to you from the ground, right? The Lord said to Cain, if you do well, actually, this is before that happened. I'm sorry, I'm remembering now. This is before Cain goes. The Lord warned Cain ahead of time. That's even more important for us to know. Again, the Lord warned Cain. And he he warned him as he saw Cain frustrated and angry that the Lord rejected his sacrifice. And that's when he says this. If you do well, will you not be accepted? Just do the right thing. Just be obedient. And he says, if you do not do well, sin lies at the door. And its desire is for you. But You should rule over it. The Lord, again, warned. We have the same warning over and over again. Sin at the door. Sin is at the door. Its desire is for us. If we do well, we'll be accepted. If not, we're going to be ruled by it. And that's what we saw here. They were being ruled by their sin. They had judgment that had fallen, and they still were not repentant. Right? You could look at Cain and say, Cain's judgment was God rejecting his sacrifice initially. Right, and Cain, rather than responding under the Lord's rejection of his sacrifice in humility, and going, and then offering by faith. I mean, how simple would that have been? It was just a matter of humility, really, for for Cain. But rather stiff-necked, turn around and kills his brother, and then he's judged, and we we know the judgment upon Cain. It's the same thing here. We see this, that, Gedaliah, he's warned. And there's pride in his heart, just like there's pride in the heart of men, and blindness, and a lack of discernment. He had no discernment, he was at ease when danger was at the door, rather than being aware. Psalm forty nine, verse twenty, it says, A man who is in honor, in a place of authority, a place of position, recognition, yet does not understand is like the beasts that perish, is what Psalm forty nine twenty says, David I believe that's David who wrote that one. Gedaliah, he had no understanding, no discernment. He was in a place of honor, but no understanding. And he became like the beast that perished, literally. He just was killed. Uh, and that's a warning for us. We've, when we're given authority, when we're given places of responsibility, I think each one of us as men, if, if we're husbands, there's a place of authority there. And with that authority comes responsibility and and, and a responsibility to have wisdom, discernment, understanding of the Lord, understanding towards your wife, uh, and and to have that humility to recognize that it's God who's placed you in that place. It's the same thing in your workplace, as a parent of children, in ministry, all of those things. A man who is in honor yet does not understand is a fool, like the beasts that perish. We have have a requirement with what God has given us to be understanding and discernment about the word of the Lord by the Spirit of God that we would be aware of what's around us. We need that spiritually. We need that with our decisions that we make. And we gain that discernment and that understanding by being in God's word by seeking the Spirit, by praying, by being humble, by listening to counsel, by being willing uh, to repent when we do things wrong. You know, it, it wouldn't have been right for Johanan to just go and kill Ishmael like he wanted to. So it was good for Gedaliah to say, don't do that thing, don't go and kill him. But Gedaliah, with wisdom and discernment, could have surrounded himself with men who would have protected him. Could have said, ah, you know, I heard this is going on right now, Ishmael. We're not going to have this feast. <laughs> we're not going to do this thing. We're, we're going to be intimately together, and then uh, I'm putting myself at risk. He could have listened and kept that distance and tested to see whether Johanan's words were true or not. Instead, he just blindly went into it. He had no discernment, did not listen. He was prideful, and he paid with his life. Proverbs 11:14 14, it says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. But in the multitude of counselors, there's safety. He had a counselor and he didn't listen to him. Proverbs 13, verse 10, it says, By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. That speaks of humility. You guys, we need humility as the people of God. Humility before the word of God. Humility before the Spirit of God, the conviction of the Lord. Humility before brothers and sisters as well who are listening and reading and studying and filled with the Spirit of God and give godly counsel that can be tested against the Lord's Word. We have to be humble. When there's pride, there's nothing but strife. That's what it says. Nothing but strife when there's pride. But if you're well advised... Speaking of that, humility, a willingness to listen, but also in, in seeking out the word of God when you're being counseled, when you're being uh, given advice. That is where the wisdom lies, knowing how to do it, how to walk, how to continue. And there's protection there. And that can take place after the judgment of God, after there's the consequences of what, what we've done. Humility and listening. And being willing to submit under uh, the Lord protects us from further judgment, from further consequences, from going deeper into that thing. The whole time, chance after chance after chance to repent, to turn, to submit, to walk with the Lord. We see His grace taking place in this whole chapter with the people there and the chapter afterwards. So... Look at verse 4. It says, And it happened on the second day after he had killed Gedaliah, excuse me, when as yet no one knew it, that certain men came from Shechem, from Shiloh, and from Samaria. Eighty men with their beards shaved and their clothes torn, having cut themselves with offerings and incense in their hand to bring them to the house of the Lord. Shechem was just a little bit north, so they were coming down to go to Jerusalem, and they had to pass through. Mizpah to get there um and so g- coming down going through they have their their uh, beard shaved their clothes torn they're going to offer I don't know if they hadn't heard the temple was destroyed they had to have been it's been a couple months now since the temple was destroyed and they're going but li- you may have missed it but look at what's taking place here there's 80 men their beards are shaved and their clothes are torn we have that you know uh Think of the Nazarite vow. If they broke that vow, they had to shave. They would tear their clothes. Tearing your clothes and, and removing your hair was a sign of mourning. It was a sign of all of these things. But look at what else they did to themselves. It says they cut themselves and they were bringing offerings. That actually goes against what God's word is. Against the Torah, against the, the law that they were given that they should not cut themselves. You guys remember in the time of Elijah right when he's up against the prophet of prophets of baal and he goes there and i love the picture you got to read it and you got to have a little bit of humor while you read it. it's a, it's a bloody story but have a little bit of humor when you're reading it cuz you can read elijah's sarcasm as he's dealing with these men here but they're standing there and what were they doing as they're trying to get baal to come and light this fire on this on this uh, wood pile of wood on an altar they're cutting themselves it's a pagan worship. It's a, this is a sign of, and a state of the spiritual state of the people continuing to take place after they'd been judged for their idolatry. And they're mixing together with their worship of Yahweh, the God of Israel, along with the pagan rituals and practices of the nations around them. And it was still taking place after the temple was destroyed. Jerusalem was destroyed. Continuing to take place. And here they're thinking, oh, we'll go and bring offerings to the house of the Lord, which isn't there any longer and has been defiled and desecrated. And in fact, even before that took place, uh, I forget exactly which um, prophet talks about it, but we read about um, Ichabod, the glory of the Lord departing from the temple, the Shekinah glory no longer being there long before the temple was destroyed. We read about that. And, and so they're going in and they've continued on. Their spiritual state has not changed at all. And they're going in. Now, of course, what Ishmael does to them is not uh, good at all. Ishmael was a bloody, uh, prideful, uh, greedy man. And we read that about him. But the spiritual state of the people, you would think, you would hope, that there would have been some recognition of what was going on. They were being judged. They had all the prophets. That's what Jeremiah says, what the Lord says over and over again. All the prophets rising up early, the Lord sending them, telling them, judgment's coming. It's coming because of your wicked ways. You guys, we have within the church, I was thinking about this. How does a nation get to the place? How do a people get to the place where even under such harsh judgment, And consequences, there's this blindness that's going on. I mean, we know as Christians, we look in history, we see Paul talks about it with the Jews. You know, Jerusalem was destroyed again. The temple was destroyed again, just like Jesus said, because they missed their day of visitation. He longed to weep over them, gather them together as a a mother hen gathers its chicks, but no stone of the temple was going to be left upon another. The people were going to be weeping and, and be destroyed. He prophesied that would take place, and we see that there's a blindness on the Jews um, towards the Messiah, towards Jesus being their Messiah because of that. But how, how do people get to that point? There's a long line of compromises to where it's that, it's that proverbial, you know, boiling a frog slowly, in that pot of cold water, the heat slowly turning up, right? We have biblically, we have an even better picture of that in Samson, the judge, right? The Lord called Samson from before he was born to be a judge, a redeemer in Israel, to save them from their bond, their going into bondage over and over again with the Canaanites because of their sin, because of their idolatry. Um, and being taken advantage of. The Lord had called Samson to have, to live a life as a Nazarite. Nazarites were not supposed to um, touch any fruit of the vine, no grapes, no wine, no raisins, none of that, no grape juice. They, they were not supposed to cut their hair. They were not supposed to touch dead flesh. And then as a Jew himself, they were not supposed to intermarry or have relations with women from who worship pagan gods and what do you read about Samson you know Sunday school pictures oh he finally gave in and has haircut and he loses all of his strength his superhuman strength I mean he's there's a movie I've never seen it's probably super cheesy Uh, we saw that we watched the trailer a few weeks ago about Samson the picture that that part at least the scene they showed in the trailer looked pretty amazing and it's him being Kind of run down by by a whole troop of Canaanites, and he's there swinging a donkey's jawbone, killing them, right? And that's that's what we read about. He, I mean, he had massive strength, power of the Lord. It was the spirit of God empowering him to be a judge and to do these mighty things. Um, it wasn't his hair being cut that caused him to lose the spirit of God and the empowerment that he had because of the spirit of God. It was because there was a long list of compromises that he had remember he 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 touches the lion who's dead his carcass where there's the honeycomb inside he he goes and and rather than seeking a a bride from his people he goes to the canaanites right and seeks to 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 get married to uh their women uh and he uh you see him touching the fruit of the vine. You see him drinking wine, and as he's there with the Canaanites, you see him breaking his vows that he was commanded to keep from his youth, over and over again. And the Lord, in His grace and long suffering, allowing His Spirit to remain in Samson and to use Samson, but it got to that point finally where he finally compromised and was willing to give up his position with the Lord for this Canaanite woman, right? Delilah. I couldn't remember her name for a moment. I should know. Um, But uh, not by experience or anything. Anyway, Uh, (laughs) moving on. Um, But, uh, you know, he, he compromised over and over again, and it was the last straw. It was just like we read about in Lamentations. Transgression after transgression, transgression after transgression. If they would have stopped transgressing, there would have been nothing for the Lord to weave into the yoke that's forced finally upon their necks, right? If there had been repentance. It's the same with Samson. If he would have not been playing with fire, he wouldn't have gotten burned, right? It's the same with us. It's the same with us. And that's what we see with Israel. They, they, they're over and over again in the times of the judges. They're going after foreign gods, foreign idols. Even before that, if you guys remember with Joshua, they were commanded, go and drive out all the people in the land. Drive them out. They were to kill these certain people groups. That's a whole other interesting story in, in and of itself. Um, but, but they were told, drive them all out. If you don't drive them out, then you're going to be seduced into, by their women, to go after their gods. And there's gonna be a religious apostasy. And you're gonna start bringing in their worship into your worship. Joshua warned them, Moses warned them. And and we see that they didn't listen, they didn't obey. And you see that compromise after compromise. And even then, there's judgment, they go into bondage. During the time of the judges, the Lord raises up a judge for them, they're set free. And then they have a time of peace and everything's all right. And in that time of peace, they go get complacent and they go right back to it again. And you see that over and over again till the Lord raises up Samuel, the prophet among them, prophet and judge, first one of his kind like that, prophet and judge. And, uh, and he is meant to be ruler as a shepherd over Israel. And what does Israel do? Rather than obeying what the Lord has promised Put in place for them, they want a king just like all the other nations. And Remember, Samuel's upset by it. And what does the Lord say? Samuel, they're not rejecting you as judge over them. They're rejecting me as their king, is what God says. He says, I'll let them have their king. They can have their king. Here's what's going to take place. If the king obeys, the king will be blessed. He'll have a house forever. As king. He'll be he'll have descendants upon the throne of Israel forever if he obeys. But the king, you know what's going to take place for you, Israel? He's going to take your sons and your daughters, he's going to turn them into servants, he's going to tax you, he's going to take of your belongings, he's going to put you in essence into bondage to himself. All the things that the worldly system had established around them. They wanted that for themselves. They wanted the good things of having a king over them. Uh, but they were not understanding that the Lord was already their king. And they weren't submitting under that. So we see that. And we see with Saul, compromise. right? Even with Saul, compromise over and over again. You see that. And you see that throughout their history. They, uh, there's Saul. He's rejected. Then David is raised up. David is raised up as king. David had compromises. We see that, right, with Bathsheba. We see that, but Bathsheba wasn't the first compromise of David's either, right? He went and he took Abigail, after killing Abigail's husband, went and took Abigail to be uh, uh, his wife. Not He didn't kill her husband to get her as wife, but her husband was a headstrong, prideful man, and he died because of that. And then later on, he took her in. Um, but we see uh, he multiplied wives unto himself. David did, and that a lot of the turmoil that took place in his family was a direct result of that, right? His son going in and raping his daughter, uh, murder between brothers, in there Absalom. You know, all of that we we read about as a judgment because of what he did with Bathsheba. Even the whole situation with Bathsheba, it was compromise, right? It was in the season when kings were supposed to go out to war. And David said, no, I'm going to stay home this time. I'm going to take a break. It's vacation time for me. And rather than being out fighting on the battlefield with his men like he should have, he was up on the rooftop at nighttime being a looky-loo, right? And there's compromise. And there's all these phases. But we see that with the people continuous compromise, bringing in Solomon, David's son. Solomon multiplied wives to himself, even though he was the most wise man that has ever lived. Even a wise man is foolish when it comes to women, right? But that's what happened with Solomon, multiplied wives to himself. What was it? Over 200 wives and many hundreds of concubines, right? Right? and what happened exactly what the lord said they will turn your hearts to other your heart to other gods and that's what happened and because of solomon the false idol worship false god worship began to be mixed in with the worship of yahweh cuz solomon would go and offer sacrifices to these other gods with his wives and we see that entering in and because of the Lord's love and, and uh, promises to David, there wasn't, beyond some of the things that we read about with Solomon, there wasn't the judgment of the kingdom being driven away from Solomon, but we see that directly after him, right? Kingdom is split. Then there's the people north, Israel, and they're, again, <laughs> they're rulers, given command. Be faithful to me, obey me, and you'll do well. You'll 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 be kept as king, and your descendants will be on the throne there in Israel. And and they don't listen, and they go after other gods. Same with Judah, over and over again. Israel, Northern Kingdom, did not have one good godly king when you read about it. Judah, they had some, but there was always these little compromises in all the times. It says he did as his father David, but. You know, he he cleared out all these idols and all these gods and tore down the high places and, and the Asherah poles and all of these other things. Yet they didn't remove this one thing. And you see that over and over again. So there's this slow, continuing compromise to where the people were in a state where they really did not know what it meant to truly follow the Lord, to be holy and separated unto him. That was their spiritual state. And that's what we see here in Jeremiah's time to get to that place. You guys, in the church, there's those things. That's why, uh, you know, we're not perfect, but that's why with Dan and I, you know, we have such a strong emphasis upon discernment, on knowing what is out there that are current events, current trends within the church that are popular. That people are getting on board with and saying, you need to be careful. You need to test it. You need to know, is it biblical? Does it line up with God's word? Is it a biblical interpretation of how the spirit operates within the church? Does it line up with these things? When we bring up stuff that we talk about like Bethel Church or we talk about uh, uh, yoga or we'll talk about um Other things, even the emergent church purpose-driven life and and all of these other things that that we've talked about over the years, Uh, certain uh, worship music uh, and and different worship bands and all of these other things that you have, Uh, there's this compromise in the church that's taking place all around us. Apostasy, really, is what it is. And, And as a shepherd... We are called to, we looked at it last week, but called to shepherd the people. And shepherding is not just picking up that little lamb and cuddling it when it's cold. It's taking that crook and hooking that lamb in the neck and dragging it along with you. Say, nope, you're going to fall off that cliff. There's wolves over there, right? There's there's all of these things. There's the protection. And, and that's what, what uh, as a, a pastor and a minister, we're called to, is to 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 do those things, but we as people as well, we have the same Word of God. We have the same Spirit of God. We have the same opportunity to test all the things that we hear. And compromise comes in to the church and comes in to our own lives. And if we are not willing to recognize it as compromise and as sin and as as playing with fire, then we end up blind. Like Samson. We end up blind, like Gedaliah. Blind, like the people of Israel, like the people of Judah. We end up not even aware of what's going around us when God's judgment is falling, when there's chances to repent. It's not just blindness to the heavy, hard, difficult things, but blindness to the grace of God. We end up blinded to those things by spiritual. Compromise, And that's what was taking place. Well, let's look through, uh, barely even through this chapter. Verse 6 says, Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, went out from Mizpah to meet them, weeping as he went along. He was a deceiver. And it happened as he met them that he said to them, Come to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam.' So it was when they came into the midst of the city that Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, killed them and cast them into the midst of a pit, he and the men who were with him. But ten men were found among them who said to Ishmael, Do not kill us, for we have treasures of wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. So he desisted and did not kill them among their brethren. So he was greedy. The only thing that stopped him from killing them was the food. I mean, it's not even like gold. It's, It's wheat, barley, oil, and honey in the field. That tells you the situation in Israel as well. The famine in the land that the Lord had prophesied. The lack of food, all of those things. Verse 9 Now, the pit into which Ishmael had cast all the dead bodies of the men whom he had slain because of Gedaliah was the same one Asa the king had made for fear of Baasha, king of Israel. Ishmael the son of Nethaniah filled it with the slain. And again, all of this because Gedaliah did not listen to Johanan filled it with the slain. Then Ishmael carried away captive all the rest of the people who were in Mizpah, the king's daughters, and all the people who remained in Mizpah, whom Nebuzaradan, the captain of the guard, had committed to Gedaliah, the son of Ahikam And Ishmael, the son of Nethaniah, carried them away captive and departed to go over to the Ammonites. And then it goes on and it talks about Johanan. We're almost out of time here, so we're gonna skip over some of this. But we see Johanan. Now, what what do you think Johanan would have thought As he comes upon uh, Ishmael and his people, and he finds out, here's this pit of slain men, Gedaliah included, Johanan would have been thinking, if only he would have listened to me. I told him. I told him that this was going to happen. I told him he was plotting against him, and he didn't listen. Well, Johanan, he goes and he chases um, Ishmael and the captives down, and comes upon them and it's it's funny Ishmael you know I don't know it says they he took all the people as prisoners but as soon as Johanan shows up all the people are like yay he's here and they go and run and they're able to just escape and go and all the confusion that takes place Ishmael and 8 of the 10 men that were with him flee and are able to get get away from um, from Johanan so Johanan, he had this real life experience of discernment, of the effects of not listening to that discernment with Gedaliah. And then we get into chapter 42. And chapter 42, what happens? Johanan turns around and does the exact same thing, but even worse this time. says, all the captains of the forces, verse 1, Johanan, the son of Korea, Jezaniah, the son of Hoshiah, and all the people from the least to the greatest came near and said to Jeremiah the prophet, please let our petition be acceptable to you and pray for us to the Lord your God for all this remnant, since we are left but a few of many, as you can see, that the Lord your God may show us the way in which we should walk and the thing we should do. Then Jeremiah said to them, I have heard, indeed, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. I'm emphasizing that, according to your words. And it shall be that whatever the Lord answers you, I will declare it to you. I will keep nothing back from you. So they said to Jeremiah, Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us, if we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you. Whether it is pleasing or displeasing, we will obey the voice of the Lord our God to whom we send you, that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. Look at all that flowery, beautiful, buttery speech that they're saying. Let the Lord be a true and faithful witness between us. If we do not do according to everything which the Lord your God sends us by you, Whether it's pleasing or displeasing, we will obey that it may be well with us when we obey the voice of the Lord our God. The Lord knew. Jeremiah may not have known, although I suspect because of what he says, I will pray to the Lord your God according to your words. He doesn't say according to the intent of your heart, according to what you want, but according to your words. I will pray. And think of this. There's 10 days of grace for the people to really let that sink in. 10 days of saying, yeah, whatever the Lord says, we're going to go. 10 days that the Lord waited. Maybe those 10 days were the same thing. The Lord's allowing their hearts to get hard because he already knew what they were going to do. Already knew their answer. And it happened, verse 7, after 10 days that the word of the Lord came to Jeremiah Then he called Johanan, the son of Korea, all the captains of the forces which were with him, and all the people from the least even to the greatest, and said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, to whom you sent me to present your petition before him. Listen to this grace. If you will still remain in this land, then I will build you and not pull you down. Remember the call of Jeremiah? He was called to to uh, pluck up, to tear down but he was also called to build and to plant. But the Lord says, I will build you and not pull you down and I will plant you and not pluck you up for I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. The Lord said, I, I'm ready to give it up. I'm ready to stop. As soon as you're ready, I'm ready. That's what the Lord said to them. I relent concerning the disaster that I have brought upon you. Do not be afraid of the king of Babylon. Look at the Lord's grace. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid of him of whom you are afraid. Do not be afraid of him, says the Lord, for I am with you. That was the Lord's answer. I'm with you. I'm with you. You've gone through judgment. You've gone through these things. You've gone through uh, treachery, rebellion. You've gone through you're fearful. You're there. You don't know what Nebuchadnezzar is going to do to you now that his governor is slain and there's been this uprising against him. You don't know what Ishmael's going to do to you since he escaped from Johanan. You don't know what's going to take place. You're scared. And here's the Lord's grace. He says, I'm with you. I'm ready to relent. I'm, I'm not going to judge you if you're ready to listen to me. And that's the Lord's dealing with us. If we're ready to listen to the Lord, he's ready to relent. At any point, at any time, his grace is there for us. He is with us. He says, I'm with you to save you and deliver you from his hand. And I will show you mercy that he may have mercy on you and cause you to return to your land. you see that? The mercy that they would have physically was coming from the Lord. His mercy. Verse 13 says, but, so here's the but, if you say we will not dwell in this land. The Lord's responding right to what they said. If you say we will not dwell in this land disobeying the voice of the Lord your God saying no but we will go to the land of Egypt where we shall see no war nor hear the sound of the trumpet nor be angry for bread and there we will dwell then now hear the word or then hear now the word of the Lord o remnant of judah thus says the lord of hosts the god of israel if You wholly set your faces to enter Egypt and go to dwell there. Then it shall be that the sword which you feared shall overtake you there in the land of Egypt. The famine of which you were afraid shall follow close after you there in Egypt. And there you shall die. So shall it be with all the men who set their faces to go to Egypt to dwell there. They shall die by the sword, by famine, and by pestilence. And none of them shall remain or escape from the disaster that I will bring upon them. You guys, they had opportunity to listen. The Lord was ready to take them at their word for what they said, their vow that they made. He said, if you're going to stay... This is what I'm telling you. If you're going to obey me, I will relent. I'll plant you. You're going to grow. You'll be able to rebuild. You'll have harvest. You'll be able to do all of these things. You'll be able to start to grow back after judgment has fallen. But if you don't, wherever you go, my judgment's following you. That's what the answer was. Wherever you go, it didn't matter where they went. The sword, the famine, and death was coming after them. They thought that they could escape to Egypt to go somewhere else from where God's judgment was happening. That they could, in essence, run away from the Lord, but they couldn't. They promised obedience, but really, in their hearts, we see from their response, they were toying with Jeremiah. Verse 19 it says, The Lord has said concerning you, and the toying with the Lord, really. O remnant of Judah, do not go to Egypt. Know certainly that I have admonished you this day. But here's the true, the true reading of their words. It says, for you were hypocrites in your hearts when you sent me to the Lord your God, saying, pray for us to the Lord our God. And according to all that the Lord your God says, so declare to us and we will do it. He says, you're hypocrites. And the Lord knew from the very beginning they were being hypocritical in what they were doing. From the very beginning. And even so, with that knowledge of their hypocrisy, the Lord still gave them a chance to relent. But they didn't do it. Verse 21, it says, and I have this day declared it to you, but you have not obeyed. See, they hadn't gone to Egypt already, right? It's not like they were on their way and this was happening. But the Lord says, you've already disobeyed me in your heart, is what the Lord said you have not obeyed the voice of the Lord your God or anything which is sent you by me. Jeremiah is like, you haven't listened to anything I've said the whole time, nothing. You haven't heard a single thing and and you're still not going to listen. And verse 22, now therefore know certainly that you shall die by the sword, by famine and by pestilence in the place where you desire to go to dwell. And they chose to continue to go. We'll, we'll see that next week. But they were, they were trying to, Toy with the Lord. They wanted to hear good things. They already had it set in their hearts and minds. We're going to Egypt. They were afraid. We'll give them that. They were afraid. And they had reasons to be afraid. And they, after they had already decided in their hearts, they said, well, let's ask Jeremiah. Have Jeremiah go to the Lord. And let's get that extra weight of having the Lord on our side for our decision that we've already made. And they didn't like what they heard. Because they heard the truth. They had made a decision already and they heard the truth. We have to be so very careful that we're not making decisions apart from the Lord. And then trying to get the Lord to give us the answer that we want. The word says when we pray, we'll get what we ask for when we pray according to his will. Right? Right? James says, I think it's James, who says that we ask, but we don't receive because we ask a misc, seeking to spend what we've received on our own flesh and our own pleasure. So many times Christians, they, they, they want to flip open the scriptures and find the exact answer and support for, for what they think that they should be doing already. Oh, you know, Maybe you're uh, fornicating with your girlfriend, not married. And you say, oh, God's a God of love. He wants us to love one another. So if, if God's a God of love, then my love for my girlfriend makes it all good. right?" That's an extreme kind of out there case, right? But we do it in even smaller things. People do it in smaller things. What does the word of the Lord actually say? God is consistent throughout scriptures in his character, in his nature. He's a holy, righteous God. God of the Old Testament is the God of the New Testament. God the Father is the same as God the Son. Their character, their nature is the same. It's not Jesus, the nice, gracious, loving God, who's kind of softening the blows of the angry God Father in the heavens. Right? It's not like that at all. We read, God's a God of grace and mercy, long-suffering, abounding in in all of these wonderful, beautiful things towards his people. And he's a God who judges. We see Jesus. He's a God of grace and mercy, protecting the woman caught in adultery from those who would stone her, casting out demons from the rejects of society, eating with sinners, but he's also the same Jesus who goes into the temple and makes a, a whip of cords and drives out the money changers, who cries out in a loud, angry voice towards the Pharisees, woe to you, scribes and Pharisees. He's the same Jesus that we read about in the book of Revelation, who comes back with a sword out of his mouth to judge the nations, whose robes are dipped in blood, who's ready to... To, to strike down the enemies of his people. That's the same God we worship. We have to be willing to accept what God's word says for what it says. We need to come to God's word for those decisions. We need to seek him, his wisdom, his counsel. But we need to be ready for the answer. We need to be willing to obey, to not say we're going to obey and then we, when we don't like the answer to turn back right 1st Samuel 16:7 The Lord does not see as man sees. Man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. 1st Kings 8:39 You alone, speaking to the Lord, know the hearts of all the sons of men. John 2:24 says Jesus knew all men and had no need that anyone should testify of man for he knew what was in man. And Jeremiah it says, verse uh, chapter 17, verse 10, I, the Lord, search the heart, I test the mind, even to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his doings. When we go to the Lord and we ask, we receive what the Lord knows we need. And that's the truth that we receive, whether we like it or not. Ecclesiastes 5 four through six, it says, when you make a vow to God, do not delay to pay it for he has no pleasure in fools. Pay what you have vowed, but better not to vow than to vow and not pay. Do not let your mouth cause your flesh to sin, nor say before the messenger of God that it was an error. Oh, I was mistaken. I shouldn't have said that. Why should God be angry at your excuse and destroy the work of your hands? So the writer of Ecclesiastes says, they were worse than being flaky. They were being deceitful like Ananias and Sapphira in the New Testament, in the book of Acts, who, like all the others in the church, were going to sell their property and give it to the church. They didn't have to, but they went and did it, and they told Peter that they had given everything that they had gained and profited from the sale of their land. It didn't matter that they didn't give all of it. What mattered is that they were lying to Peter. And as Peter said, you haven't lied to men, but to God. And they were struck down and killed on the spot. Job fifteen thirty four through 35, it says, For the company of hypocrites will be barren, and fire will consume the tents of bribery. They conceive trouble and bring forth futility. Their womb prepares Deceit. That's hypocrisy. You guys, we need to not be hypocrites. It starts with humility and repentance. Hypocrisy says, I am what I'm really not. And is unwilling to submit to the Lord. We all sin. We have our shortcomings. We have our failings. We have those things that we do uh, that we should not. But if we submit and repent in humility, he forgives us. If we resist... We have judgment. We have consequences. We have penalty. We have all of these things. We need to be willing to accept what the Lord gives us. One last verse. I'm way over time. I'm sorry, guys. Job 2.10, it says, Shall we indeed accept good from God, and shall we not accept adversity? It was Job's answer to his wife, who was telling him, Curse God and die. And Job says, Shouldn't we accept good from Him? And if we accept good from him, should we not accept adversity? He's the God. And what does it say? In all this, Job did not sin with his lips in his response. That's what we're called. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, I pray that the people here tonight, Lord, that you would continue to speak to them.